Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As two glasses chink, the light is formed. Sharp prism shafts shoot towards the window capturing dust in ant farm wafers of air. Oh, how they dance, and how I would dance, if stumbling one evening, I drew myself to the soft edges of blurred lamplight. Would you dance with me, thrown between walls of oak and deep red plaster, amongst the brass and piano music, between the bar and the corner there, where the old man sits, remembering his last dance through the movement of our dancing in the moon underwater. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the moon underwater your landlord, John Robbins, and the regular, the lovely, Robin Allender. Welcome thee and welcome hence, Robin. Yes. And welcome into your own state. Thank you. Uh, and also welcome everyone to a very special uh, episode of The Moon Underwater, because as you can hear, The Moon Underwater has revealed itself within another pub. Mm. So it's a, it has now become a pub within a pub. All the best pubs are pubs within pubs. And this is also, it's, it's a triple revealing... <laughs> Because it's revealed itself in a pub within a pub within a George Orwell festival. Yeah. Um, we are here in the Moon Underwater, in the Marquis uh, Cornwallis, in the George Orwell festival. And also, I would dare venture, within ourselves. Wheels within wheels. Wheels within time, time within wheels. Mm. Uh, so, Robin, how do you find yourself in the Moon Underwater, in the Marquis Cornwallis, in the George Orwell festival? Oh, fuck. <laughs> you, you get the drift. How yeah, are you? I'm fine, yeah. Been very well, yeah. Very excited. And that's all he's got to say. That's all he's got. He doesn't want to elaborate any further. Yeah, I'm happy um, to, happy we to are be here. surrounded by the sight and sound and smell of pints. Mm. I can see, just without moving my neck... 
14 pints. And two gins and tonic. And two gins and tonic. Yeah. Is that how it's said? Uh, yeah, I think so. Really? I hope so. So it's not gin and tonics? It might be. Well, what does Big Brother say? <laughs> yeah. uh, I haven't read 1994 for a while. 19 um, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read 1984 for a while, but yeah. I'll be chucking in a few references. Sure. Uh, like uh, asking if Big Brother's watching us and that's it. Really? No, you, you're, you've been on an all-well jag recently, haven't you? You've been... I've been on an all-well jag, uh, but only Coming Up For Air. Yeah, I read Coming Up For Air. It's, it's great. Uh, it's superb. Mm. Um, and I read 1984, I think about five or six years ago. Okay. Good book. In 1980. No. Yeah, it's great, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, about 2018. Yeah. Is the, all well, is the other All Well Festival, so is this level of <laughs> kind of debate? Like when you last read a book? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this is one of about 30 events. Uh, and we're joined by James over there who organizes the All Well Festival. Yeah. Well done, James. Round of applause for James. And I don't think James would have ever dreamt he'd have had such searing insights no. into the work of one of Britain's most celebrated authors. No, yeah. Uh, I read The Lion and the Unicorn yeah. ages ago. Oh, that's a good one. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The lion wins, doesn't he? Does he? <laughs> or does the unicorn win? Well, the unicorn doesn't exist. And then maybe that's the point. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, we have a fantastic guest for you this evening to create their dream pub within the Moon Underwater, within the Marquis Cornwallis, within the George Orwell Festival. Yeah. That's rooms within rooms, I man. Know. I know. It's like Inception. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, please give great cheer and welcome for the one and only Mr. Mark Steele! <laughs> Thank you very much, John. This is very much my kind of George Orwell festival, <laughs> where uh, it's not something that would be on BBC Two hosted by Stephen Fry. It's more like, oh, I'll tell you what, he's all right, George Orwell, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he was all right. Who, which one was he? Was he the spy bloke? No, that was John le Carre. Who was he then? <laughs> the one about all the fucking stuff in London, that was Dickens. Who was he then? He was fucking good. Uh, <laughs> well, this... I. I, so I finished coming up for air on the train on the way in, and this all, almost reminds me a bit of the the lecture that he goes oh, to yeah. in the town hall mm. about uh, the rise of fascism, mm. it, but sort of in a more chilled out way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this does, this, it sort of reminded me of that town hall vibe that we've got here in the Marquis Cornwallis that yeah. contains the moon underwater. But obviously the reason I think that we... Uh, are here is because The Moon Underwater is an essay written by George Orwell about the perfect pub, and that's what this podcast is. It's where we invite guests to create their dream pub. And as a little present for you both, uh, I got something to mark the occasion, and um, I'm just going to get them out now. So this is by um, the Ephra Press, Ooh. and they do limited hand-printed uh, editions of things. Ooh. So for each of you, uh, I have a little limited edition Moon Underwater Ephra Press print of the Moon Underwater essay. Wow. Which uh, we can um, 
Keep. You can keep. Yeah. <laughs> it's kept me something of equivalent. Yeah, value. fat market pen or a pint of bitter. Um, so lovely. I thought that would be Beautiful. nice. And the, the Ephra Press do incredible, sort of beautiful, bespoke works. Um, but their printing of the Moon Underwater essay uh, is an absolute delight to behold. Because mm. uh, I'm sure we're going to read from it uh, later on in the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, Thank you. You're absolutely welcome, Mark. <laughs> Um, so, Mark, Orwell and Pubs, Pubs and Orwell, Orwell and Pubs and you. <laughs> oh, it's exactly what was asked when I was on Woman's Hour. <laughs> uh, uh, right, well, I suppose the two stages to that question. The first, Pubs and me. So, I was brought up in a town, I've mentioned this many times, called Swanley in Kent, which uh, was I mean I, I don't know seen as so much of what I've done in the last few years has been talking about how I love every place I go to the one exception is the place I was brought up in that I find it almost impossible to say anything kind about at all and there was one pub there which in a town of 25,000 people is quite unusual I would think one pub called the Lullingston and I have said about that pub that it is suicide going in. It was literally suicide. And these people who go to Switzerland are wasting their money. Just get, <laughs> just get a one-way ticket to Swanley, go in there, I'm not from round here, and you'll be done in 20 minutes. Uh, it's a horrible, violent little place. And I used to go to a pub called The Woodman because that was the slightly upmarket one. And that place... So, there was a chap called Norman Clark, for example. There was a whole family of Clarks. You know, like these little towns have one family that does a massive amount of crime. They don't even all know each other, and sometimes they'll be out and go, oh, turns out you're my brother, that sort of thing. <laughs> and Norman Clark, who was one of the nicer, more sort of, he was, he was one of the prettier Clarks, and he would just come up to you every now and again and go, poof! And smack her. And now, when I sort of hear, quite rightly, now I either at school or something, if some if if the kid's been violent, then their parents are brought in and they're given a lecture about hierarchical values or something. And at that point, you know, it was just the opposite. It was just violence was all part of that place, and it was a really great. And I used to go to that pub, and I went from when I was sixteen. And I used to drink in there probably about four nights a week at, to get away from the boredom of Swanley. And uh, one of the clerks, incidentally, this is what happened one of the clerks, Norman's brother, I think, Trevor. He came round one their day. actual names? Because they sound like the sort of people who would pursue a vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> they would definitely pursue a vendetta. I think uh, they're probably detained in places where they can't pursue that vendetta. But, uh, all right, let's change the name. <laughs> yeah. So Clark's too one of the <laughs> one of the halt witches, Ignatius Hortwich. <laughs> so uh, I I had this little idea where me and me and a mate we we bought this car. We thought we'll buy a car and we'll we'll spruce it up and we'll sell it for a profit. And we bought this Ford Corsair for fifteen quid and we vacuumed it and everything and we put it in newsagent windows for twenty five quid. And one of the clerks came round. No, one of the, whoever, what other name was, <laughs> came round. And I swear this is what happened, right? We thought, oh, he's probably going to use it for some ill-fated burglary or something, but never mind. And uh, he went, can I, uh, can I get in, have a look inside? I, I said, yeah, yeah, go on. And he got in and just drove off. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he just drove off. And I remember this moment of sort of stood in the road with my mate going... 
oh, he's not coming back, is he? And he was, <laughs> and he was gone. So one of, one of those people would hover around the woodman and just punch people. And uh, that, was, that was... And yet, somehow, I still grew up to love the pub. So what would you say was your first memory of walking into a pub and thinking, oh, this is, this is somewhere I could spend a lot of time? Well, I think... Because of that, I used to go to this one of Swanee must be one of the few towns where this happens, where young people would go out of the town to the village because the village more th- so villages around that area had more lively pubs and they would be quite cosy and sweet and beers that were you'd think oh yeah I like drinking that rather than just I'm drinking it to get drunk which is an important thing which I think we should come on to really because but I think that um yeah I remember as well I used to drink eight pints I could never drink eight pints now not in a weekend I don't think but I used to drink eight pints and I was my ambition when I was 17 was to drink nine pints (laughs) and I and I and I used to sort of sometimes not go to the pub Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so that I'd be ready for the Friday. You know, like a swimmer that was just like finely tuned for the Olympic final. Because you, you know, you've got to be dedicated in life if you're going to yeah. achieve your ambition. And uh, and so I, that was, and I never quite managed it. You know, I'd, I'd always get to the ninth point and just be so drunk, I'd be over, you know, terrible state. Um, and what would you have been drinking? Uh, Courage bitter, it would have been. And so I was sort of um, probably a little bit unusual in that most of my contemporaries would have been drinking lager. But I've never been, uh, you know, I'm quite militantly of the bitter persuasion, really, between the two. You know, to a quite snobby degree, which will become apparent as we talk about other drinks. Lovely stuff. So you, when did you leave Swanley? I was 18 when I left Swanley. And I moved up to Crystal Palace, which I've sort of more or less been sort of living around ever since. And, um, uh, yeah, and then there were pubs that were like, wow, this is a brilliant place to go. There's something more to it than just where you get drunk. You can you see people, meet people that are that are just sort of there who are your... But I don't know, and I suppose that did happen in Swan anyway. But, the, you know, the, the, everything about it, you know, all we would explain, was was part of the totality of the pub experience no and um uh, yeah so then then it all then it all changed let's start with uh, a couple of selections and then we might move on to what your dream pub might look like and what it would be based on so what are your two draft options well, I th- now I'm not completely um, obsessed with this, but I think it would have to be a really good draft bitter. Like uh, the the one that I thought of is a Harvey's, but uh, from Sussex. But it wouldn't have to be like that. I don't, you know, I know there's a sort of uh, there's the image of the beer fanatic, isn't there? Of like, uh, oh, you know, wonderful the hops, and you can taste, you can oh, you can always taste the peasant treading it, all that sort of thing. But uh, so I, I I wouldn't be that obsessed about it. But I think that uh, that something that's got a bit of love in it, really, which I don't think with either the horrible fizzy bitters of the you know twenty years ago that they did, they just smelt like they'd been chucked together with no compassion. And I think mostly, you know, with a sort of skull lager or something, I think oh no one's cared about that. No one's sniffed that and gone oh it needs a little bit more 
cinnamon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, and uh, you know, you want to, right, Nigella Lawson, you can imagine with a really nice bit, you can imagine her going, oh, just a, oh, just a, oh, can you feel those hops just going in? Mm. And I think you need, you need, you need to feel a, it's got that sort of um, passion. It would be a remarkable rebranding if Skull did bring out a, a cinnamon lager. Mm. With Nigella Lawson. With Nigella yeah. Lawson. Mm. I'm not sure it would appeal to any of those... <laughs> the demographics. Oh, no, yeah. I don't think it would appeal to Skull fans, cinnamon fans, or Nigella Lawson fans. <laughs> no, no, it would The key cinnamon it'd be, demographic. No, it'd be like one of those... Pissed off. <laughs> it'd be like one of those... Um, shops when people move to Hastings or something and they retire and they set up a shop and they don't quite know who they're aiming it for and they sell disparate things like Lego and homemade marmalade and hardcore porn. And I, I just sort of <laughs> well, let's put down Harvey's Sussex Best because it is, it is a beer made with love. It's also a very popular choice here at the Moon Underwater. And as Ollie Smith said, it changes with the seasons, Mark. Mm. Oh, does it? It's a very seasonal beer because they have different profiles in different months. Right, right. I was very drunk when we recorded that. <laughs> in winter, it's got a snowman in it. <laughs> uh, what would be your second draft choice? The second, I don't often drink this now, but I think I've written out, this is important, it has to be a really, really carefully made Guinness. Mm. I think that is... A glorious. I mean, people have sort of told us these things about. Oh, you've got to be in a pub where they really look after, where they sell lots of Guinness. The pipe, it, the, the, it's got to have lots of stuff coming through the pipes or whatever. But I know a horrible Guinness is a f- terrible, terrible, awful, awful thing. A, a crime. Well, I was a, 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 something that you should be put in the Hague for. <laughs> but a beautiful Guinness. It just looks so glorious. A lot of pressure on the barman here. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a couple of the Guinnesses going out. They looked okay. They had quite thin heads, is all I'm wow. saying. Wow. However, I was walking... There's good, a luck ho- getting, good luck getting to the bar late. <laughs> I was walking past. There's a hotel nearby here with a bar outside... It's like a Holiday Inn or something, and I saw a guy drinking what I think might be one of the worst pints. That the head was almost as dark as the actual Guinness. It looked no, rank. Just straight, you know. See, when I'm prime minister, someone uh, straight round there, a special part of the paramil- a paramilitary wing of the security forces, will be <laughs> there, and the Holiday Inn will be no more. Yeah, that'll be turned into flats. So, in your pub. So we've got we've got two firm favourites here. We've got Harvey's Sussex Best. We've got Guinness. What sort of pub is it going to look like, and what are the influences on it from your your pub past? Well, I'm slightly conflicted here because I, I'm sort of of a generation where the pub is homely, and I think that is a sort of hangover from when George Orwell was writing about it, when the pub was a sort of an alternate home, if you like. Uh, I think that was the case, you know, in those days because people didn't go out very much to things they couldn't afford it and so on. In the, the, you know, he was writing, I know he wrote that after, before the war, didn't he? So p- people were really, that, that was just something to go out. It was such an important part of the community. Uh, and I can still sort of remember that. Now it's a bit more of a choice, isn't it? We're going to go to that, thing as a special night out sort of thing rather than just something that you you go to in the 70s and 80s you would go to pubs 
just every night. That would be your alternate home. It sounds like bliss. But I, guess but I don't some... think it does. I don't think because then people would yeah. play darts out of boredom. I, yeah. I, I used to do that. I just used to play darts out of boredom. Yeah. And, and then, if, you know, if you hit two 20s and a five, good arrows, my son. And, that was, <laughs> and it was... Um, but there so... was a lot more routine in the past because you'd have, like, you know, church on a Sunday, yeah. pub on, you know, any number of days a week, you'd have, like, fish on a Friday. My mum always saying we always used to have fish on a Friday. It's so weird to have a day of the week where you'd have a specific meal yeah. now but perhaps having mushrooms on Monday yeah, yeah, yeah mushrooms exactly. on Monday <laughs> yeah. Yeah. avocado on a Thursday yeah. what are you doing yeah. having avocado on a Wednesday it's a matter you've got to annoy God yeah <laughs> but that's that's one of the great things in Coming Up For Air because Coming Up For Air is an Orwell novel written in the 30s and it's about nostalgia for a time before the First World War and he goes back to his hometown the, the narrator and he uh and you know, the, everything's changed. So there's been so much progress in the period since he was there. And um, the main, one of the big changes is obviously the pub. He's surprised that no one knows who he is or knows the family surname. And the pub is, uh, you know, it's made to look older than it was. Was another thing. And, uh, oh yeah, shall I read that little line? I've got it. Yeah, I'll sure. just grab it from my book. Okay. What do I do now? <laughs> it's, it's very good. I turned the page down on this. Yeah. Um, bit. Oh, fucking hell, the page has gone back up a bit. <laughs> oh, bear with, bear with, bear with. He goes to the church. Yeah. I don't quite remember the bit where it was routine to go to church on a Sunday, though, in my... I mean, life. I mean, perhaps in the dark, in the yeah. further past. Yeah. Placing me a little bit too much in the past. <laughs> and then on a Wednesday, the jester would come round. <laughs> <laughs> the plague man collecting the dead would be. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I was listening to the the book program on Radio Four. <laughs> And it was much like this. Could you just read a passage uh, out loud, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're not going to find it. Anyway, think, yeah. uh, he sort of says... Um, but he's talking about how his, his... When he goes back to the pub, mm. his, his mum wouldn't have sort of had any time for the... Uh, sort of fancy trappings that they'd added onto the pub, like the sort of the weird ornate tables to make it look old because she'd say, well, you'd catch your leg on them. Yeah. And the warming, the sort of copper warming pans on the walls, mm. which you sort of see that. I mean, you know, we're in a pub. This They've got lots of, um, like, cool artwork up, but we could easily be in a pub where they've got old sort of horse brasses and stuff that, yeah. that were installed in 2013. Mm to make it look like it was from 1913. Mm. Yeah. And there's the, that dissonance he's talking about, about I'm in a place that's trying to look older than it was when I was here 30 years ago, and now no one knows who I am because they've all only lived here for five years. Yeah. But I, I think it's as much about nostalgia as it is about fear of the future. Totally. Because, because that's what can make you nostalgic when you're not sure what's going to come. And obviously he was worried that the war was just about to break. Yeah, up. but it's weird because now, the, the nostalgists of now, you know, you sometimes see Facebook posts of saying, oh, do you remember when we used to just have a stick and there was only one programme on TV? 
and we'd go and play in a skip for a, on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, yeah. and we were happy. You know, you see those posts going around. So it's very easy for those kind of people to kind of co-opt Orwell yeah. as a nostalgist. But Orwell was writing this period in the 30s where it was about the fear of the future. So it's a very specific time and place. I remember reading one, I can't remember which essay it was, but one about the bus, about how he didn't like the, 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 the fact that the wall had been ruined by the bus. And he said, uh, you could, of course, still go on the walk rather than take the bus, but the fact you know you could get the bus yeah. ruins the walk. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, never, I was never quite with him, on, with him on that. And I did think there was a little bit of... Um, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of that sort of thing. In fact, it's, it's probably a, 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 just about any attitude. It's the sort of thing that I find mm. most oh, despairing, really. It's just that sort of thing that everything was automatically in the past. And when yeah. you get older, of course, you notice loads of people your own age. Yeah. For example, with music, you know, I find people my age going, oh, we had punk in our days. What have they got nowadays? We had the UK subs. And I think, well, the music that... that 20-year-olds are producing now. It's far more elaborate and exciting yeah. than that shite. And I, I, <laughs> and I, and I loved it. In fact, yeah. UK Times is probably a bad example. because, but, the, but there was loads of stuff about it that was just awful. It wasn't, it's far more elaborate. You know, the, the youth culture is far more exciting now than it was mm. when I, I was a kid. So often, and I, Robin mentioned this on a podcast we were on about Philip Larkin, because he, he sort of started hating jazz or coincidentally around the time that he stopped being a teenager. Yeah. And he thought all modern jazz was sort of a waste yeah, of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But so many people actually just just loved the stuff they were listening to when they were yeah, sort of yeah, 13 yeah. to 20. Mm. And that's true of, you know, absolutely pretty much everyone, unless you're really keeping your ear to the ground in whether it's music or comedy or literature or whatever. You just tend to prefer stuff that happened when you were slightly more innocent of the world. Yeah. I think that's the. I think that's what's good about Orwell, though, is because he realizes it's a bit of a trap, and he kind of, he's very good at like. There's a brilliant bit in Coming Up for Air where he eats a, a horrible sausage. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah. He eats this frankfurter, and he realizes it's made of fish, and he goes, and he goes on to realize like this is what the future is. Everything's going to be mass produced and ersatz, and you know everything's going to be the same, and he and he was um, right in a way, but it's more about this kind of fear of what was coming. Then you know, like the, well, the he's, Second World War. The, the character stuff. in Coming Up Frere is always is always arguing with himself about whether he is nostalgic or not, yeah. or whether he's just afraid. Yeah, right. And the, and the thing is, as well, is that the narrators they always very good at finding, focusing in on like an example, like that sausage, and making it mean something. But nowadays, I think there are lots of people on Twitter who think they can do the sausage thing, but they're just rubbish at it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, so they're yeah, saying, yeah. "Oh, look, I saw this sausage." No, you're not George Orwell. Yeah, you know, quite a bold back claim. Off. Back off. My my <laughs> little tweet about a sausage yeah. is very much like George Orwell. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. In that tweet, I encapsulated all the fear of the future. I also <laughs> described in some detail how I fought in the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. In one, <laughs> but it's, I think it. But it was very. It, it was. The times in which he was writing this stuff in the late 30s, certainly, I think after the war was different, but that was a really grim time for someone who was very much a socialist, who'd gone, to the extent that he'd gone out and risked his life fighting with the, the left-wing factions in uh, Catalonia and what have you. Um, but then the world was dominated by 
Hitler on the one end and Stalin on the other end, he had more good reason to be depressed than these miserable fuckers on Twitter. Yeah, yes. yeah. But I think his, his concern is, is with people who, like, is almost perfectly the people that Theresa May was trying to uh, reach out to when she said people who are just getting by. Mm. That's like his... I think those are the people whose stories he wants to tell the most. Yeah. You know, people who have a little bit of mm. sort of security, a little bit of standing, a little bit of income, but it could all go instantly. Yeah. And it, coming to him as just someone who's writing about sort of class or domestic living, I'm not coming to him as like a as a reading him politically because I didn't never studied him or anything. It's interesting that that he's interested by these people who are trapped mm. by the fact they can't either better themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. or or sort of slacken off at all or everything will sort of fall apart. Well, that was his own sort of standpoint, wasn't it? I just think with Orwell, he was sort of, he was someone who, with, a, with, with very honourably, I don't mean that sounds so patronising, but very honourably and in a very committed way, he was someone who was aware, I'm not part of this working class, but I'm fascinated by them and they have within them an innate power to change the world and I can't quite work out why the left can't reach them. Mm -hmm. And I think, in a, so whether it's Road to Wigan Pier, where he sort of goes and stays with miners' families and so on, he's sort of looking at them as an outsider because he came from a very well-to-do background and so on. Or whether it's 1984, there's a sort of similar, a similar attitude. You know, he's looking at, like, the, if, there's, if there's hope, it lies with the proles. They're a sort of, they're a force he's not part of. He's, he's, they're over there somewhere, these proles. And, I'd, uh, and if, if only someone can, can reach them. And I don't quite, I'm trying to understand them. And then you think he gets very frustrated with the left because they are so utterly incapable of speaking to people, as, you know, which is still the case, isn't it? So, um, for the most part. Not entirely, obviously, but, you know, it is for the, a lot of the time. I went to the pub and I had a drink with my friend. It was really nice. The pub was called The Moon Underwater. Hello fans of Pub and Pint. I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with Yours Sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Stop talking about George Orwell and start talking about booze. <laughs> what are your two bottle choices, please, uh, Mark? Okay, well, the first, uh, the first thing, and because I'm sort of very keen on a, like, uh, a, uh, I don't know, a bit of diversity with these things, I think a bottle of cider. Oh, yeah. But the cider that you get in a pub in Somerset or Hereford. Oh, <laughs> Oh, what a terrible shame. You had... I was there. I was with you every step of the way. Are we, t- are, we talking, are we talking thing? Rattler? Kind no. of Cornish stuff? No, 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 no. It's, it's the sort of... There's a thing called Hex, which I remember thinking oh, when I was... Perry. Hex is not... Hex yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I went wow. to... Uh, when, I was doing the, <laughs> when I was doing the in-town shows, and I did one show, and I thought it'd be funny to do in Glastonbury. There's the town of Glastonbury that's about five miles from where they have the festival. And uh, it's a marvellously crazy place every shop in the high street is selling wizard stuff and <laughs> dream catchers and stuff to do with chanting and things like that and all the it's a really really wonderfully chaotic but in fact i'll tell you the joke that i just thought of when i was going when i was walking on to do the recording which was that the one branch the only shop that's a sort of chain shop there is William Hills, a branch of William Hill. And I said, go, they're taking a chance with all the psychics in town. So, the, uh, but just, just there, there is this side of this farm that makes this stuff called Hex. So it's beautiful. And again, just so I'm not, you know, Harvey's is lovely and other bitters uh, are as well. But something like that, a really good cider, because I think there's something so distinctly glorious. And sometimes you're in a mood where it should be cider or it should be Guinness or it should be, but you should have a sort of choice of those very, very different. They appeal to a very different time, probably summer. I don't know. Well, There's something a bit dangerous about it, isn't it? It's sort of, it tastes just like, that's just fruit juice. That's, I did do that once. I, when I, the first time I got really, really utterly done in was uh, I was in Shepton Mallet with some oh, mates. Oh, that's a about, dangerous place to start. Yeah, 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 yeah. Getting done in in Shepton yeah. Mallet. And in those days, there used to be three bars in a... Uh, some of those pubs that was that was called the tap room I think at the back and it was for the people who had just drunk too much cider and they were just lost to the conscious world <laughs> and and uh, I went in there and my I don't know there's something 
even then, I think I was just sort of fascinated by the difference between different towns and whatever. And my mates who I went with went to a much more young, sort of happening place. And I said, no, I want to go in this pub. And I remember sitting on it, and I did the classic thing that people say, and I bought this... I, I, I started talking to these people, very much like Shepard Mallet and all that. And then I, I, uh, I drank a cider and another cider and another did the classic thing of thinking this stuff is really, really nothing. I don't know why people go on about how strong it is. And I don't know how much I had. And then I got up and I just went clump. <laughs> and I do have this memory of like... I might have, might have been mistaken, but I definitely have this memory of three or four of these local Shepton Mallet blokes over the top of me going, come on, mate, come on, you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, he's got a spark out here. Oh, you're, uh, no, no, no. Uh, and that was... Well, I think Hex is a great choice because uh, I'm very fond of it. And obviously, I, I'm a West Country lad, and so is Robin. Yeah, you can tell by the accents, can't you? You can tell by the yeah. accent. The, the thing is, I mean, I... First had Hex on the Apple in Bristol. Oh, don't do it. And it was on... Don't do a toilet story. And it was on... Um, <laughs> it was barrels of it. And it tasted like what I imagine Frobscottle tasted like, what the BFG has. Just the most <laughs> perfect drink. And it wasn't actually that strong. It was only about 4.5%, but I, there was something wrong with it. It tasted fine. but So I left thinking I'll walk home... Then the, 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 the situation moved at pace. <laughs> I then got on a bus, and by the time... Then I had to get a, ca a taxi. So I, it was three forms of transport to get me home quick enough, and my, just my insides went, went nuclear. Um, and I then, uh, I then met John Richardson the next day there, and uh, I said, you've got to try this side. <laughs> he, he, he texted me from the toilet on the, the Bristol to Swindon train. Going, you fucking little shit. Uh, but Hex Cider is great. I think that the, the danger is that cider is a world that can be quite confusing if you're not sort of familiar with all the different farms and cideries and whatever, because you can have something, you think, oh, that's a bottle of cider, I'll have that. And then it's like, it tastes like you're drinking pure lemon juice and it's 10%. Or you can have something which tastes really, really sweet and it's 4%. And so you, can, you have to be quite careful when you're getting into the world of proper Somerset cider. Yeah. Um, but I think Hex is a great shout. What would be your... Why was your... But why, why were you... Uh, why were you upset with the choice of a Somerset cider rather than... Well, because it just depends which one it is. Because I hate dry cider. It's a completely different world to, like, even a sort of a medium cider. But then you, if, you, if you sort of get, have the wrong choice, you feel like an idiot for going, oh, actually, I meant something that tastes like sweets. Yeah, not, not something but that's really sophisticated. But do you ever? Does anyone ever, when they go to Cornwall, if you go to Cornwall on holiday, do you ever have a rattler? So, yeah, rattlers, dangerous stuff, isn't it? But you only take it because you're like you're on a holiday, and I'm like I'm on a holiday from my, from myself, so I'll drink six percent. You get cider. rattler in Tesco's. Yeah, but you should only drink it in Cornwall. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. But they've got the tap with a snake on it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of the high-strength cider world. Really? Oh, no, no, you've got to be yeah. careful. Uh, yeah, no, you're better off with crack. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, uh, but the uh, the sort of um, thing we're, we're talking about there, though. Right, so I wasn't aware of this till I was in Nottingham a couple of weeks ago. And in a pub in Nottingham, they had mango cider. And oh, see that's that... really... I've had that. It's rose. I think it's Rosie's. It's so nice. Is that all right? Uh, yeah. See, it's that really sets my, good. That sets my old man sort of meth, you know, thing whirring. What, mango cider? What's going on in the world? But it's, <laughs> it's flat. It's proper cider, I think. I'm right. pretty sure. They sell it in the heart sometimes in um, Charing Cross. You ever go in the, the no. heart by Leicester Square? Oh, right. man. Oh, right. oh one yeah, of, I know. great pubs. Um, yeah. But no, I think, I know what you mean, though. If you go into Tesco or there's, like, more cider with extra fruit in than there is actually genuine apple cider, yeah. which is a bit... I don't yeah. like that toffee, toffee apple, brothers. That's probably oh, the worst. No, this is a bit of me that got, you know, oh, what bloody kumquat cider have we got next? <laughs> what about lilies? Do you ever have a lilies one? But with the apple and pear? Uh, I have had that, but not yeah. recently. Mm. That is a diarrhea machine. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that how it's advertised? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> <the tagline. laughs> it's a diarrhea machine. <laughs> I'd better be off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, Mark, what's your second bottle choice? Well, I, I, now I, I do love a, a bottle of wine. I do, see, I think... Right. No, I do. I do. I generally do. But, because, see, this is... Now, the point here, I think, is that the wonderful thing about alcohol is that it comes in so many wonderful different forms. And that's why it is a superior drug. I think, you know, because it's true. It's because other drugs, all they've got going for them is the effect but with the drink, it's just so many different types of the flavour, the taste, what it takes you and everything is so diverse. That, I'm not an expert, but I very much doubt whether people go, oh, this ketamine, it's got a hint of grapefruit. <laughs> it's got, it's, there's just something fantastic. <laughs> drink. There's a million different... Yeah. So I had a bottle of wine, not last, like the, 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 yeah, the, the night before last. Sat in a bottle. I know fuck all about wine. I'm utter ignorance with wine. But I, and, oh, that's lovely, that one. And that one, oh, I don't know. That's, my, that's the extent uh, of what I know about it. But I think you've got to have a bottle of wine in a pub. You've got to have that choice, like you have with cider. Most days you might not want to go for it, but other days you will. And I, I think that all the glorious different ways of taking out, and also with other drugs... Right, I think I, I have a relationship with alcohol that I'm very, very happy with now, more than I've ever been in my life, because I don't ever get drunk, really, but I love just, a, oh, the flavour of that, you know, whatever this is, that sounds lovely, or a little glass of wine or something. There's something beautiful about it. It doesn't have to get... And again, you wouldn't do that. No, you know, one goes, oh, I don't, I don't like too much heroin, I, I'll just have just enough just to get the sort of flavour. So which, uh, do you remember which, so which wine are you choosing? Is it a red or a white? A red. I would have a red if I'm being selfish, because there's one called 19 Crimes. Oh, dear. The bell bad? has sounded. What have I done? Well, you've done nothing. What that means is that we actually have some here oh, okay. live uh, to sample... 
Uh, I've never had 19 crimes before. I've seen it. It's, I, I, I like the label. The, well, it says based on real events from the 1800s. What, the, wi- <laughs> the wine is based on events. <laughs> it is based on yeah. it's, described... it's based on the invention of the railway. Yeah. <laughs> it's described... This wine's got the plot of this wine. Is... <laughs> it's described rather vaguely as red wine. <laughs> My... Uh... My son's... It's Australian, that stuff. Is it... I don't think they know what's in this. Probably not. But I... um, My son's girlfriend is Australian. She's very nice. And uh, I bought a bottle of that home and she told me that it was... um, it, it was wrong. It was politically wrong because it's um, the ninth. It's somehow. It's I can't remember why, but anyway, it does. There's something bad about it vis-a-vis. I think it's sort of playing on the stereotype of Australia as a nation full of criminals, <laughs> based on the name, the image, and the words. <laughs> <laughs> You can't say anything these days. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to find that Orwell passage again? (laughs) (laughs) Got the world's shittest fucking waiter's friend. Oh, that was quite satisfying when it came. I mean, uh, we can chuck that. Okay. Uh, glasses, gentlemen, to taste some uh, stereotypical, potentially offensively racist wine. (laughs) Which would make it more Australian. (laughs) (laughs) Me and John went to a wine tasting thing last week. And it's so funny how much we pretended to know about wine. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just going like, this is, God, that is that is a that is that. I said robust about fifty times. <laughs> oh, I but when I was a, oh, and then, you, then they would go like, yeah, it is robust. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> when I was uh, much much younger, I went to uh, America and I'm living in uh, San Francisco, and I saw this comic. I remember this line he did right to now. It was one of the most brilliantly brilliant little lines this comic did in this comedy club about how just south of San Francisco you can go to all of these vineyards and stuff and you go around and you look around and all that and at the end of it they give you quite a bit of the the wine from the vineyard that you've gone round and he said and all of these people are stood around and they're all talking about it and it's always something but something he said they're always like oh it's cheeky but robust or it's <laughs> oh it's it's greedy but it's generous or something <laughs> like that. and he said i like going up to him and going shit but free <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his name, but 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 well, yeah. I'm going to have my it. first ever, and now with our wine knowledge, Rob, we yeah. can, I can really help Mike. You need to vote for Michael Farage. It's quite nice, is it? Are you not a fan? <laughs> no, it's quite um, it's quite a sort of acidic in the mouth. Oh mm. no, oh, I like it. I don't, I don't have the vocabulary to describe it. it tastes like nice red wine. 
Yeah, it's sort of fine red wine, but not, but not fine red wine, but it's right. sort of fine. Yeah, yeah. And it's red wine. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> this is your pub, Mark. Oh, I know, but like I know, I'm, I'm, I'm really in the... I, I don't know, I like this stuff because it's sort of fruity, I don't know. Yeah. Bit of black currant on the nose, bit of bit of uh, blackberry on the nose, Rob. Yeah, possibly. I remember the other day I said something was spicy, and they went, "Yes, yes, spicy, yes, spicy." <laughs> so, I, I, so yes, yeah, quite spicy. I, I don't, I don't know what you think of this sort of uh, ridiculous theory I've got, but I think with uh, with the expense of something in generally in life, and this applies to lots of things, I would think beyond wine. There's a sort of point at which paying more for something pays off. So the difference between a three-pound bottle of wine and an eight-pound bottle of wine... Where are you getting three-pound bottles of wine? <laughs> <laughs> I've got an old mate in Swanley, right? Yeah, uh, yeah all right. No, you're, you're right. We, we've chatted about this quite a lot. The, the sort of the upgrade you get between five and eight quid is bigger than the upgrade you get between 20 and 100 quid. Yes, definitely. Definitely, I, uh, yeah. Unless you are an absolute expert, would you even know the difference between yeah. a twenty quid hundred? Quid? Probably not. Uh, so you know, and I think that applies to lots of things, doesn't it? With cars or something, you know. But uh, but yeah. So I don't know. So you, uh, there's not a lot of point in me saying, oh, let's have a sort of oh, the one oh, this fine, beautiful, this particular vineyard in Argentina that I think, you know, what, and then nobody would appreciate that in this pub. I wouldn't want the sort of people in the pub who did appreciate it. <laughs> if someone came in, I'd, in fact, I might have a bottle of the hundred quid Argentine special wine, and if someone appreciated it, I'd say you're fucking banned. <laughs> <laughs> You want people who say, give me 175 mil of the culturally insensitive red wine. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so far, Mark, in your dream pub, we've got Harvey's Sussex Best, mm -hmm. got Guinness, oh, I'm on board. We've got Hex Cider, yes, please. And we have 19 Crimes Red Wine. Yeah. But also, here in the Moon Underwater, we have to expand our minds. Otherwise, what's the point? I don't know either, but what I hope I do know is the answers to this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. It's quite a long jingle, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. And because this transmission of Moon Underwater is brought to you by the Orwell Society, I thought I'd do a quiz about George Orwell's Animal Farm. How are we, do, how are we doing with that? Anyone do it at GCSE? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a great bit in Money by Martin Amis. Don't know if anyone's read that. Where, has anyone read Money? It's very good, very funny. Uh, the narrator, John Self, has never read a book before, and he reads Animal Farm and doesn't realize it's an allegory. And he says, this reading lark, it's a doddle. My theory is that whiskey helps. Whiskey is the secret of trouble-free reading. Either that or Animal Farm must be unusually easy to follow. The only thing that puzzled me was this whole gimmick with the pigs. Pull the other one, mate, I kept saying to myself. I mean, how come the pigs were meant to be so smart, so civilized and urbane? 
Have you ever seen pigs doing their stuff? I have, and believe me, it's a fucking disgusting experience. <laughs> so that's my enemies. Anyway, how well do you know Animal Farm? Uh, in this quiz, I'm going to name some characters in a, and events in the novel, and you have to tell me what they represent. For example, Napoleon is Stalin. Yeah? You on board? It sound, didn't sound very on board. <laughs> so Napoleon is Stalin. Okay, so here we go. We've got, we got, we got five here. Five characters and events. So number one is Snowball, the pig. Who is he? Snowball. Number two is Squealer, also a pig. Number three is Boxer, the horse. Number four is the building of the windmill. And bonus question, Benjamin the donkey. Yeah. What I like about Robin's pub quizzes, uh, they, they often get, um, get criticised for being too hard. This is not only a quiz that relies on you having read Animal Farm quite recently, but also having studied it. <laughs> so, unless you did it for your GCSEs this year, uh, I'm not sure anyone's going to get many of those. Well, you also need a bit of a history of the Russian Revolution to make sense of some of that, I think. <laughs> Well, we will all find out the answers uh, to those questions uh, to the Moon Underwater pub quiz uh, at the start of the next episode. Uh, we'll join you. You will join us. Mm, uh, join us. I'm going to pop this back uh, on your table so I don't drink any more of that. I like it. So do join Robin I. The lovely, the lovely Mark Steele at the George Orwell Festival here in the Moon Underwater in the Marquis Cornwallis. At the, I've forgotten how I, what clause I started that sentence in. <laughs> uh, please support us on Patreon because if you support us on Patreon, you get advance warning and ticket access to events just like this. And we will see you back in part two. <laughs> What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> 